You are now listening to British Brothers, the Full Cry Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to British Murders, the podcast that focuses exclusively on British murder cases and serial killers. I'm your host Stuart Blues and this is the second and final part of the Season 8 special. Before we get into it, let's break the ice as we always do. The show's first opening icebreaker segment sounds like this. True facts that sound like bullshit. Did you know that Apollo 11 astronauts Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins had to complete US customs forms after they returned to Earth from the Moon on July 24, 1969? In the section which asks if they had anything to declare, they said moon rocks and moon dust. You can actually find the form online, which I think is quite funny. Now it's time for the show's final opening icebreaker segment. Final quote of the day. I believe that every human has a finite number of heartbeats. I don't intend to waste any of mine running around doing exercises. That was said by Neil Armstrong, one of the aforementioned astronauts. Now, as I said last week, this case was suggested by listeners Hannah Roberts, Lily Johansson and Louise. We're in Gloucester, in Gloucestershire, but I won't be going through any more quickfire facts as I covered those off last week. Before we get going though, let me quickly advise you once more that this podcast contains elements that may be alarming to some listeners. As always, listener discretion is advised. I've spent a while debating how to structure this episode because it's one of the most complicated cases I've ever researched. The murders committed by serial killer couple Fred and Rose West, that we know of at least, occurred between 1967 and 1987. However, None of the murders came to light until 1994 after Fred and Rose were arrested. Subsequent excavation of their properties led to the discovery of several bodies which weren't necessarily found in the order they were killed. There are several offshoot stories in the Fred and Rose West story relating to people such as Uncle John, Fred's brother, their surviving children and the sheer volume of TV series and books covering the case. If I were to cover every last shred of information surrounding the case... This would probably be a 10-part story rather than just having the two parts. Therefore, for this second and final part, I'll focus primarily on the murders the West were convicted of, their arrests and the aftermath. What I'm going to do is begin the story in the lead-up to the West's arrests and provide as much background information as I can about each of the 12 innocent women and children they killed along the way. It's the simplest way to cover the story, in my opinion, and it leaves the smallest chance for confusion although granted, you may still get lost along the way. If you haven't already, I highly recommend you listen to part one first. It provides some much-needed context and background, which will serve you well for this episode. And we begin in August 1992 this week. It was during that month that five children were removed from 25 Cromwell Street, the home of Fred and Rose West, after concerns were raised about their welfare. The five children in question must have been Louise, Barry, Tara, Rosemary Jr. and Lucy Anna. Only Louise and Barry were Fred's biological children. You'll remember from part one that Rose had the other three children with either one or multiple sex work clients. I attempted to confirm which children were removed from 25 Cromwell Street, but after failing to do so, a simple process of elimination led me to those five names. Mae West will have been 20 in August 1992, and I believe had since moved out. 
Stephen will have been 19 that month and again appears to have previously moved out. As for Heather, Fred and Rose's first child together, I'll come on to what happened to her shortly. On that fateful August day, my research indicates it was likely the 6th of August, police had turned up to 25 Cromwell Street. (sighs) Really hard to say that for me. 25 Cromwell Street. I have to say it so many times in this script also. They turned up there to arrest Fred West on suspicion of raping and sexually abusing his 13-year-old daughter Louise. Fred was at work when officers arrived at the property, but it didn't stop them from breaking in and arresting Rose on suspicion of assisting Fred. Louise would later confess to her older sister May that Rose had sought her out when the police first knocked on the door so she could tell her to keep her fucking mouth shut. After being taken to the local police station with her siblings, Louise spotted the West family tree written on a whiteboard with a question mark next to Heather's name. At the time, Louise had no idea why the question mark was there. Initial interviews of the children by police and social workers led to one of the five kids mentioning there being a family joke about Heather being under the patio. Not knowing what to do with that off-key comment, officers failed to record it or follow it up. An emergency protection order then led to the children being sent to Cowley Manor, a country house in Cheltenham, under the care of social workers. Fred was later arrested at his place of work, whilst other officers searched the property at 25 Cromwell Street. What they found was shocking, but would soon seem timid once further discoveries were made. That initial search of the property led to officers finding hardcore porn videos, BDSM sex toys and other sex-related paraphernalia. Fred and Rose were taken to separate police stations to be interviewed, with Rose soon being let go. Fred would go on to be charged with three counts of rape and one of buggery, or sodomy. Rose was charged with encouraging unlawful sexual intercourse and cruelty to a child. A few months before police officers turned up at 25 Cromwell Street, Fred had escalated his abuse of Louise from groping and inappropriate touching to rape, an act he carried out on three separate occasions. The first time, Rose wasn't in the house, but she was aware of the second and third rapes. According to May, Louise told her years later that Fred had asked Rose to check if she was still a virgin. Rose complied, and after informing Fred that Louise was no longer a virgin, he was satisfied. Louise was told that she would break up the family if she ever told anyone about what had happened, and for the longest time she kept quiet, but eventually she told some of her younger siblings. She also told one of her friends, who in turn told her mum. It was Louise's friend's mum who then informed the police and set in motion one of the largest and most expensive murder inquiries in UK criminal history. Fred was sent to a remand prison in Birmingham, but was subsequently released after the case against him collapsed in June 1993. Louise was too traumatised to give evidence in court and testify against her parents. At around the same time, social workers responsible for the care of the West children kept hearing comments about this family joke I mentioned earlier. The kids would infrequently discuss how the patio at 25 Cromwell Street was laid around the time their parents informed them that Heather had moved out. Fred used to threaten them into behaving by saying they would wind up under the patio, just like their sister. A one-off comment, such as the one police officers heard, could understandably be dismissed but several similar comments over a period of a few months from more than one of the children, that was enough to cause alarm bells to ring. Police officers had previously asked some questions as to Heather's whereabouts, but the answers they received from Fred Rose and the kids were vague. It was as if the kids had been coached into giving certain responses, 
something no doubt achieved by way of mental, physical, emotional and sexual abuse from their parents. That and fear. The police were informed of the social workers' concerns in the late summer of 1993, but their inquiries into Heather's whereabouts came up short. If Heather had moved out, escaped, ran away, however you want to word it, she surely would have left some kind of a digital footprint along the way. But there was no record of her paying tax, national insurance, she never visited a doctor, she wasn't registered to vote anywhere. The last the family had heard of her, so they said, was in 1987 when she was 16, but she'd be 23 by now, so she'd surely have a house somewhere, a job to earn some money. To say the police found it odd there was no trace of her in the country whatsoever would be an understatement. Enough evidence was gathered over the next few months to justify being granted a search warrant under Section 8 of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act 1984. The evidence consisted primarily of witness statements from the social workers that had overheard the West children discussing that family joke. On February 24, 1994, May West answered a knock on 25 Cromwell Street's front door. Fred was out again, working, but Rose was upstairs and soon summoned by her daughter. The warrant gave Detective Chief Inspector Terry Moore and his team permission to search the garden in connection with the disappearance of Heather. Fred was called and asked to come home, which he did, but he took his sweet time. He took so long that the officers had left by the time he arrived. One source indicated that Fred would visit Gloucester Police Station that evening after voluntarily offering to be interviewed regarding Heather's disappearance. He was adamant that he'd seen his daughter recently in Birmingham. The following day, February 25th, 1994, saw officers arrive back at 25 Cromwell Street and they weren't there for more than five minutes before Fred West asked them if he could be taken to Gloucester Police Station. On the way, he informed the officers that Heather was indeed buried in the back garden, but that the officers who visited a day earlier had been looking in the wrong place. Fred was then arrested on suspicion of murdering his daughter, Heather West. Back at the house, Rose was also arrested on suspicion of murdering Heather, but she was taken to Cheltenham Police Station. Unlike Fred, Rose vehemently denied any involvement in the death of her daughter, something she would continue to do for all of the murders she'd go on to be charged with. That evening, Fred was taken back to the house so that he could point out exactly where Heather's remains were. He was only able to show them a rough area as to where he thought she was buried, which led to a support group officer finding a human femur bone the following day, February 26, 1994. Home office pathologist Professor Bernard Knight then excavated the rest of the remains, which were later identified as belonging to 16-year-old Heather West via her old dental records. Before the discovery of Heather's remains, Fred had changed his mind about having killed her, but once it became known that remains had been found, he once more admitted to having done so. Heather was a student at Hucklecote Secondary School in Gloucester when she suddenly disappeared in 1987 at the age of 16. She had just finished her GCSE exams and was no doubt excited about what her future might bring. As I mentioned in part one, Heather and May were regularly molested by Fred. They would try and protect each other from their father's advances, but often failed. It's thought that Heather either told some of her friends about what Fred was doing to her, or she threatened to go to the police. Either way, she disappeared soon after Fred became aware of it. Many lies were spread by Fred and Rose as to her whereabouts after she was last seen on or around June 19th, 1987. Some were told that Heather had moved out. Some heard she'd gone to work in a holiday camp. Others heard she'd run away with a lover. For obvious reasons, Fred and Rose did not report her as missing to the police. 
Despite being the first person whose remains were discovered at 25 Cromwell Street, Heather is believed to have been the last person murdered by Fred and Rose West. It soon came to light that another human femur bone had been found in the garden of 25 Cromwell Street, indicating there may be several bodies buried back there. When questioned, Fred explained he had also killed two other teenagers. He first admitted to having buried 18-year-old Shirley Robinson before admitting to having killed 16-year-old Alison Chambers, who he said was a friend of Shirley's. On the same day Fred appeared at Gloucester Magistrates Court charged with Heather's murder, February 28, 1994, support group officers found more human remains in the back garden of 25 Cromwell Street. In order of discovery, they belonged to Alison Chambers and Shirley Robinson. Rose was then arrested on suspicion of murdering the two girls. Born on September 8, 1962 in Hanover, a city in what was known as West Germany at the time, Alison Chambers would later settle in Swansea, South Wales. Known to her friends and family as Al or Ali, Alison's father served in the Royal Air Force and was stationed in West Germany with his family when she was born. She had a rather turbulent adolescence, with her teenage years being particularly troublesome. This led to her leaving home at 16 to move to Jordansbrook House, a children's home in Gloucester. In 1977, a couple of years before Alison disappeared, another resident at Jordansbrook House reportedly ran away from the home and somehow ended up at 25 Cromwell Street, where they were raped by Fred and or Rose. By 1979, Alison had a steady job working at a law firm under the Youth Training Scheme, a former on-the-job training course initiative for high school leavers. Allegedly, she was also a frequent visitor at 25 Cromwell Street, but in what capacity, I can't say. Shortly before her 17th birthday, which puts us in the late summer of 1979, August or September time, Alison disappeared. The staff at Jordansbrook House thought she'd run away and reported her suspected absconding to the Missing Persons Bureau, the UK's national and international point of contact for all missing people and unidentified body cases. As with so many of the West victims, Alison's case soon turned cold and searches for her ceased. Shirley Robinson was born on October 8, 1959 in Leicestershire, and although police found no connection between her and Alison Chambers, despite Fred insisting they were friends, they had a few things in common. Shirley had also lived in Germany at some point in her life, although it's unclear as to whether it was East or West Germany. She eventually settled in the West Midlands with her mum and dad, who were German and English respectively. Shirley was an open-minded individual and may have seen the best in everyone. That may explain why she fell in love with Fred West after the pair met in the mid to late 70s and Shirley began lodging at 25 Cromwell Street. Fred and Shirley began having an affair and the teenager saw herself as being Rose's replacement. In around July 1977, Shirley became pregnant with Fred's child. Rose was far from happy with the arrangement and is thought to have had a word with Fred to the effect of him needing to get rid of her, one way or the other. By April 1978, a heavily pregnant Shirley was a month away from giving birth when she was last seen. She had written to her dad, also a former RAF soldier like Alison Chambers' dad, who was based in the city of Cologne, West Germany at the time. In the letter, Shirley said, I am expecting a child from Freddie. We are in love. Shirley Robinson's disappearance was not reported to the police. Her unborn eight-month-old baby's remains were found alongside hers in the garden of 25 Cromwell Street. 
Fred West was charged with the murders of Alison Chambers and Shirley Robinson on March 2nd, 1994. Rose was not charged with their murders until May 18th and 23rd, 1994. Regarding Heather's murder, Rose was charged with that on May 26th, 1994. On each occasion, she replied by saying, I'm innocent. You can probably begin to understand why I said this timeline is so difficult to cover. The key dates are all spaced out so sporadically, especially when it comes to Rose's charges. If we stay with March 2nd, 1994 for now, that was also the day detectives working the case were made aware that a woman called Linda Goff was once a lodger at 25 Cromwell Street, but had mysteriously disappeared in 1973. Fred at first denied knowing anyone by the name Linda Goff when he was asked about her the following day, March 3rd, but by March 4th, a huge breakthrough in the case came after Fred handed a note to Detective Superintendent John Bennett, the case SIO. The note said, I, Frederick West, authorise my solicitor, Howard Ogden, to advise Superintendent Bennett that I wish to admit to a further approximately nine killings, expressly Charmaine, Rena, Linda Goff and others to be identified. Signed, F. West. If we add Heather West, Alison Chambers and Shirley Robinson to that list, it takes us to 12 women and girls Fred was admitting to having killed. That confession was followed by a further trip to 25 Cromwell Street, where Fred pointed out more locations where he'd buried the bodies of his victims. On March 5th, 1994, whilst digging up the cellar, detectives found some remains that would later be identified as belonging to Therese Siegenthaler, a 21-year-old Swiss national. She was identified by her dental records and by superimposing her picture onto her excavated skull. The story will continue after these quick messages. And now, back to the story. Born in Trub, or possibly Trub, a municipality in Switzerland, on October 8th, 1952, Therese grew up in the nation's de facto capital city of Bern, or Bern. After finishing secondary school, Therese wanted to further her education and began a diploma course focusing on secretarial studies. By the time she was 20, we're talking late 1972 or early 1973, Therese had decided that she wanted to continue her studies in England and applied to the Woolwich College in London. With her application successful, Therese began studying sociology. For a job, she worked in retail at a store located within London's Swiss Centre, a former retail building that showcased the best things Switzerland had to offer, was demolished in 2008. The last time Therese Siegenthaler was seen was on April 15, 1973, after she left her accommodation in Lewisham headed for the Republic of Ireland. She planned to head to the Emerald Isle for Easter, which would have fallen on Sunday, April 22nd that year. The plan was to hitchhike up to Holyhead, a North Wales town located on Anglesey, and then hop on a ferry over to Dublin. Whilst planning her trip, one of Teresa's friends warned her to be careful whilst hitchhiking, as it could be dangerous. Therese reportedly responded by saying, I can look after myself. I'm a judo expert. If you look at a map, you can see that Gloucester, where Fred and Rose lived, is on the way to Holyhead. It's therefore believed that she was picked up there by Fred and Rose, but rather than being given a lift, she was abducted and subsequently murdered. Therese was reported as missing on April 26, 1973, when she didn't return to her accommodation or the Woolwich College. She had told her friends that she would return the week after Easter. Searches for Therese, which included her brother flying to Ireland on several occasions, led nowhere. 
Her father, a man named Fritz, sadly passed away in 1990 without ever finding out what had happened to his beloved daughter. By then, Therese had been dead for 17 years and lay underneath a false fireplace that Fred had built to hide her body. On the same day Therese's remains were recovered, March 5th, 1994, detectives also found some remains in the cellar which were later identified as belonging to teenager Shirley Hubbard, who went missing in late 1994. Fred was also taken to Letterbox Field in Kempley, Gloucestershire, as he had told detectives that he'd buried his ex-wife Rena Costello there. Shirley Hubbard was just 15 when she disappeared on November 14th, 1974. Born in Birmingham on June 26, 1959, her birth name was Shirley Lloyd, but she also went by Shirley Owen as well as Shirley Hubbard. She had finished her shift at Debenhams that day in November and was headed home, according to her colleagues. The job at Debenhams was part of her work experience whilst at Droitwich High School. The spirited yet vulnerable teenager was never seen again. When her remains were found in the cellar area of 25 Cromwell Street, identification was, at first, difficult due to the lack of any dental records. Regardless, Shirley Hubbard was the youngest of Fred and Rose's victims to be found buried at their house of horrors. Fred would go on to be charged with the murders of both Therese Siegenthaler and Shirley Hubbard on April 8, 1994. Rose received the same charges on April 30, 1994 and May 4, 1994, respectively. On March 6, 1994, I understand these dates are all over the shop, the remains of Lucy Partington and Juanita Mott were recovered from 25 Cromwell Street. Born in St Albans, Hertfordshire on March 4, 1952, Lucy Partington grew up in Bishop's Cleve, Gloucestershire from the age of one. A social and incredibly intelligent woman, 19-year-old Lucy was an English student at Exeter University when she went missing in December 1973. After returning home on December 20th to spend the holiday season with her family and friends, Lucy disappeared a week later on December 27th. She was staying with a friend at the time in Pitville, Cheltenham. As she made her way to a nearby bus stop shortly after 10pm, Lucy is thought to have been picked up by Fred and Rose. She was in a rush to catch the last bus from Cheltenham to Gretton, where her family lived, and perhaps she felt that a lift would get her there quicker, maybe save her waiting outside in the cold for the bus to arrive. She was not seen alive again. Lucy's mum then reported her as missing to the police the following day, December 28th. A missing person inquiry was launched but officers were unable to trace her. Juanita Mott was 18 when she disappeared in April 1975. Born on March 1st, 1957, the former Winifred Cullis Girls School student lived in Newant, Gloucester, but had previously lodged with the West at 25 Cromwell Street, so they knew she was. An outgoing and strong-willed young woman, Juanita left her address in Newant on April 11th, 1975 and was believed to be headed for Gloucester. She had made plans to return to the Newant address the following day, but she never returned. One source indicated she was meant to attend a friend's wedding on April 12th, 1975, hence her planned swift return. It's not clear as to why Juanita headed for Gloucester on April 11th, but it's believed she was picked up by Fred and Rose at some point, taken back to 25 Cromwell Street, and then subsequently murdered and buried there. Juanita's family contacted the Missing Persons Bureau and the media, but the police don't appear to have been informed of her disappearance. In a bizarre twist, Juanita's sister is alleged to have infrequently visited 25 Cromwell Street in and around 1980 to visit one of her friends who was lodging there at the time. She had no idea that her sister was killed by the property's owners and that her remains were buried beneath the floor she was likely walking on. 
Fred was charged with the murders of both Lucy Partington and Juanita Mott on March 28, 1994. Rose received the same charges on April 28, 1994 and May 6, 1994, respectively. Rose responded to the latter charge by saying, I'm innocent, by the way. The next set of remains were recovered from 25 Cromwell Street on March 7, 1994. They belonged to the aforementioned Linda Goff. A day later, the remains of Carol Ann Cooper were found in the cellar. Born on May 1st, 1953, 19-year-old Linda Goff was living with her family in Gloucester when she went missing. Linda attended a private girls' school in Gloucester before beginning her work career as a seamstress at the Brunswick Road Co-op in Gloucester. At some point, Linda is believed to have either lodged with Fred and Rose or at the very least paid them a visit on occasion. Linda appeared to have secured herself a flat and had written a note for her parents explaining that she was leaving. April 19th, 1973 was the day she left her family home and she was never seen again. Before long, Linda was reported as missing by her parents, although it doesn't appear to have been too much of a cause for concern as Linda was not believed to be vulnerable and, for all her parents knew, was living in her new flat. It's unclear as to how and when Linda died, but her remains were found in a deep pit beneath 25 Cromwell Street. One source said the pit was located beneath the property's garage, but another said it was beneath the ground floor bathroom. I think the truth was a combination of the two. A former car inspection pit had since been converted into a bathroom. I suspect Linda was buried during that conversion build. Fred was charged with Linda Goff's murder on March 28, 1994, at the same time he was charged with the murders of Lucy Partington and Juanita Mott. Rose was charged with Linda's murder on April 24, 1994. Once again, she insisted she was innocent. Carol Ann Cooper was born on April 10, 1958, and went by the nickname Kaz. Originally from Luton, Carol moved to Worcester, and when she disappeared at the age of 15, she was living at the Pine Children's Home there. Her background history isn't clear, but she was sometimes granted leave to see her grandma on the odd weekend. I deduce from that that her parents weren't around for reasons I don't know. In November 1973, Carol was on leave from the children's home and was spending the weekend with her grandma. On Saturday, November 10th, 1973, Carol went to the cinema with her boyfriend and some of their friends. Once the movie had finished, Carol was last seen by her boyfriend boarding a bus shortly after 9pm that evening. She was headed back to her grandma's house but never arrived. A few hours passed before her grandma reported her as missing. It's possible that Carol had run away, her family thought, but it didn't really make sense as she'd taken none of her belongings with her when she left for the cinema. A missing person inquiry commenced but it led to nothing. As was their M.O., the Wests are believed to have offered Carol a lift at some point along her journey and murdered her once back at 25 Cromwell Street. Fred and Rose were charged with Carol's murder on March 17, 1994 and April 26, 1994 respectively. By May 1994, nine separate sets of human remains had been recovered from 25 Cromwell Street. No more would be recovered from that property, but on May 4th, 1994, the remains of Charmaine West, Fred's stepdaughter from his first marriage to Rena Costello, were found beneath the kitchen of 25 Midland Road. That was where Fred, Rose and Charmaine moved to in January 1970. Remember in part one when I said that Fred got sent to prison for 10 months for petty theft in December of that year? It was whilst he was in prison that Rose murdered 8-year-old Charmaine at 25 Midland Road. After doing so, Rose hid her body until Fred was released from prison. 
That release date came on June 24th, 1971, and a day later, Fred helped Rose bury Charmaine's body underneath the family's kitchen. The act of doing so reportedly excited him, and it no doubt set them on their joint killing spree. The killer couple explained to anyone who asked that Charmaine had returned to her native Scotland to live with her mum. She was never reported as missing to the police. Fred and Rose were charged with Charmaine's murder on May 11th, 1994 and January 13th, 1995, respectively. We may as well discuss Charmaine's mum now. Catherine Costello, or Catherine West as she became known after marrying Fred in November 1962, was more commonly known as Rena. She was roughly 26 years old when she went missing in either late 1970 or early 1971. She and Fred had separated by that point and she'd moved back to Scotland, but as I touched upon last week, she would frequently travel back down to Gloucester to check upon the children. In all likelihood, it was during one of those visits that Fred killed her, but it's open to much debate and speculation as the truth will never be known. I'll explain why shortly. After Rena disappeared, she was not reported as missing to the police. Her family and friends heard various stories as to her whereabouts, with some claiming she had moved as far away as Saudi Arabia. The sad reality was that her ex-husband had murdered her and buried her body in Letterbox Field in Kempley. Her remains were excavated from there on April 11th, 1994. Rena's was one of two murders attributed solely to Fred, even though he had begun having an affair with a teenage Rose by that point. The other murder attributed solely to Fred, and also thought to have been his first murder victim, was the West's nanny, Anne McFall, whom I introduced in part one. The 18-year-old was around six months pregnant with Fred's child when she disappeared in the summer of 1967. It was around May or June of that year when she was last seen. She lived with the Wests and moved around with them to various caravan sites throughout Gloucester, so Fred could have killed her any time he fancied. As with so many of the West victims, Anne McFall was not reported as missing to the police. Her remains, along with those of her unborn baby, were excavated from another field in Kempley called Fingerpost Field on June 7th, 1994. Fred was subsequently charged with her murder on July 3rd, 1994, but he was adamant that he hadn't killed her, even though he led them straight to where he supposedly thought she was buried. A further point to mention is that I did read that no forensic evidence linked Fred to the murder of Anne, but the way she'd been dismembered was consistent with his M.O. Fred and Rose hadn't met by the time Anne was killed, so that's why Rose wasn't charged with Anne's murder. One final person I'm going to mention is 15-year-old Mary Bastome, who disappeared in Gloucester in 1968. Fred was questioned about Mary's disappearance in March 1994, but denied knowing anything about it. After following an exhaustive number of inquiry lines, police were ultimately left unable to charge Fred with anything, especially as no body had been recovered. Officers firmly believe that Fred was involved with Mary's disappearance, as does Fred's son Stephen, but there's no evidence linking Fred to Mary. Stephen has since mentioned that his dad would often boast about having killed Mary when he was on remand, and hopes were raised in May 2021 when a cafe in Gloucester was searched. The Pop-In Cafe, now called The Clean Plate, was where Mary worked before she disappeared and Fred was a frequent customer. He also conducted some repair work on the cafe's drains in late 1967. Mary disappeared on January 6, 1968 as she made her way to a bus stop with the intention of visiting her boyfriend Tim Merritt. She was last seen wearing a blue jacket with a blue and white dress and was carrying a blue bag. So when a TV production company filming at the cafe said it had found blue material in the cellar, 
they felt they had unravelled one of Gloucester's biggest mysteries. As it turns out, there was no such blue material in the cellar, and no remains were found. I said earlier that the truth will never be known regarding Rena Costello's death. The same applies for all of Fred and Rosa's victims. The first reason for that is because Fred West took his own life on January 1st, 1995, whilst on remand at HMP Winston Green in Birmingham. He had made a noose from strips of clothing and was found hanging in his cell shortly after midday. Revival attempts failed and he was pronounced dead at 1.30pm. He was 53 years old. The second reason is Rose West continuing denial as to her involvement in any of the murders. She pleaded not guilty to each of the 10 murder charges she faced at a pre-trial review on May 12, 1995 and to this day denies any involvement. She insists that she was a pawn that was used by Fred and has taken the fall for it, especially now that he's dead. Some think it was in reality the opposite and Fred was more Rose's pawn and that she was the ringleader. Mr Justice Charles Mantell handed 41-year-old Rose West a life sentence on November 22, 1995 for 10 counts of murder. She attempted to appeal her conviction but it was rejected by Lord Chief Justice Taylor in 1996. That same year, 25 Cromwell Street was demolished after it was bought by Gloucester City Council. The land where it stood is now a wide footpath lined with trees. 25 Midland Road, on the other hand, still exists. Rosa spent most of her jail time in HMP Low Newton in County Durham, but she had to be moved in June 2019 after Joanna Dennehy, another British murderer whose story I covered in episode 1 of season 3, threatened to kill her. She now resides at HMP Newhall in Wakefield, West Yorkshire, where she'll spend the rest of her life. And that concludes the story of British serial killer couple Fred and Rose West. Thanks again, Hannah Roberts, Lily Johansson and Louise for suggesting that case. What did you make of it? For me, it's the worst case I've had to research to date. I'll be glad to see the back of it, to be honest. On a more positive note, I've got seven new reviews to read this week. New Buick left a five-star review on Apple Podcast Canada titled Well Done. It reads, So happy I came across this podcast. His voice and accent are perfect for storytelling, bits of humour and a lot of compassion. Started with the oldest episodes and working my way to the present. Keep up the great work. Naomi Rides Horses left a five-star review on Apple Podcast UK titled Thoughtful and Thought-Provoking. It reads, I recently found this podcast after looking for something to keep me company on my early morning dark runs. I really like the style. The episodes are well-researched and succinct. I particularly like the interviews, especially the one with her honour, Wendy Joseph QC. I've now downloaded her book, and what a wonderful book that was. Thank you, Stuart. Keep up the brilliant work. Shell Butty 82 left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled Highly Recommended. It reads, Found this podcast in late January, and I've been binge-listening since. I cannot recommend this podcast enough. As an East Yorkshire lass, it's nice to hear a familiar twang. I'm intrigued by the cases, as many of them I didn't even know about. Keep up the good work, Stu. Stacey left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled, Hey Up. It reads, Was trying to find a good podcast, but their voice or accents put me off. Then I stopped at this one. No going back now. I found my people. Annie in Stateside left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled, Fabulous and Creepy. It reads, 
stumbled on this podcast by accident and was immediately drawn to Stuart's easy storytelling style as well as his humorous comments. Keep up the great work. You make American true crime podcast total shite. <laughs> hashtag Brit Addict, hashtag Daddy Facts Rule, and hashtag I Miss the Haiku Icebreaker. Do you know what? With the haikus, I just ran out of creativity. Couldn't be asked writing them anymore. It's only five lines. What is it? Five lines? Two lines? Three lines, actually. I'm just lazy with haikus. Send me some. I'll read them out. Alice left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled Number One True Crime Podcast. It reads, Absolutely fell in love with this podcast. Easy listening and helps me focus. Love that it does less-known cases with a dip into serial killers. Love the interviews as well. They are helping me decide what job I want in the police. Set the bar high as I'm now all caught up and can't find another podcast to fill its place. And finally, Sophie Dove left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled It's the Way You Tell Them. It reads, I think you're great, Stuart. I listen to your podcast when I'm running or doing my chores. I listen to them on my boring car journeys and they make time go quicker. You tell the stories with kind empathy and feeling, showing warmth and emotion where appropriate. You're a great podcaster and keep up your great work. Good work, Mr. Yorkshire. I'll take that. Thank you, New Buick, Naomi, Shell, Stacey, Annie, Alice and Sophie for leaving the show such lovely reviews. Suppose you'd like to leave a review of the show and have it read on a future episode, you can do so on iTunes, Facebook, Podchaser or at BritishMurders.com. You can also leave star ratings on Spotify, up to 600 on there now. Buzzing for that, thank you so much, keep them coming. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or donate on a one-off basis via Buy Me A Coffee, you can find the links for each on my website. Thank you Paul H for buying me a beer via buymeacoffee.com slash BritishMurders. The note left was, another great season, can't wait for season 9. Good luck. Please continue emailing case suggestions to BritishMurdersPodcast at gmail.com. Message me on social media, leave a comment on YouTube, however you want to do it. You'll not only get the episode covered, but you'll get a cheeky shout out too. With the conclusion of my Season 8 special, I now have a week where I can have an off-season episode. Gives me a week off. And welcome in long-time collaborator of the show, Bobby Holmes, back. She tells me a murder story from across the Atlantic. It'll be my only off-season episode this time, and the first episode of Season 9 will air the week after. For now, I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Cheerio. Cheerio.